Good morning. All right, well, we have a, a lot of scripture that I believe the Lord wants to um, really open our eyes to, to some things. So I'm going to ask something of you this morning. We're, we've been talking about the parables, right? And a lot of the parables there, if you've grown up in church, it's nothing, not a new, new story you've heard. And so it's really easy to kind of turn it off like, oh, I've already heard this. Um, and that was when I felt the Holy Spirit really directing me to this um, section of Scripture. I, I wrestled with it a little bit, and I was like, oh, God, like, everybody knows that story. And um, I sat on it for a few days and just still felt that really strong. This is what I'm supposed to do. So I was obedient and, um, and really began to study and seeing some things that I'm like, okay, God, I see what you're doing here. So um, go ahead and open up your Bibles to the book of Luke. We are going to be in Luke chapter 16, 15. So go ahead and turn there. Um, so I, I have a story to tell you. Um, our family has enjoyed doing Disneyland or Disney World over the years. When our kids were really little, that was kind of our escape, and we'd go, and um, I'll give you a, a little a little freebie, um, Pastor Jeff is a little bit intense at Disneyland. So if you ever go with him, you have been warned, okay? So Disneyland is, um, we are not like probably most people, we are very scheduled. We know which rides we're gonna go to. We have the app that tells us what ride is now, um, you know, low weight, so we're gonna run to there. And then, you know, back in the day when they did um, fast passes, um, <laughs> Pastor Jeff, and then our oldest, Caden, uh, he would start picking up on this too. And so they'd be like, we're going to go get fast passes here. You guys go get in line. We'll be back in five minutes. And it was intense. We would very easily do 10, 12 miles a day walking because of all the back and forth, okay? So just to set up the story here. So we have really loved Disney. And um, we were youth pastoring um, in Wenatchee. And we did a missions trip. We decided we were going to, or, you know, that we needed to take our kids to inner city, San Francisco. Um, if you've never been there, I highly encourage you, don't go there for just fun, but if you're going to go and serve, the, there's a lot of people that really need Jesus. Um, it was a very hard, hard week of ministry, and we had prepared ahead of time to take the kids to Disneyland. So if you know your location, so we have San Francisco here, and, and California's kind of a big state, and Disneyland's like way down here. It's only eight hours of driving, you guys. So we decided it would be good to take the students, and we had this all planned, the parents knew, you know, this, this was our itinerary. So we finish up with a week of ministry, and we head to Disneyland. Now, we were very fortunate. Um, it's not a place for, for children. So we had um, three kids at the time, and my sister lived kind of close to the Sacramento area. So she took my kids while we went and did ministry. Well, then it was super convenient for her to meet up with us, like, you know, close to San Francisco. And then we'd get our kids, and we'd all go to Disneyland. So we were at Disneyland, and, you know, when you first go in the park, you have, you know, there's a few options on which direction you go. We were very... Um, we were there early, we were waiting in line, so we, we had been there for a little while, even though I don't know that we had gone on a lot of rides. So we're approaching um, the first ride we're gonna go on, and it's the Disney River, um, the river cruise, jungle cruise, thank you. Um, and so we're all like corralling. Now we have, I think, 
I think there's 13 of us with leaders and students plus my children, okay? Um, or maybe that was including. So we had, we had a large group. So we are caboosing, you know, so one leader in the front, one leader in the back, and we get to the ride and we all kind of are standing there and Olivia's standing next to me and she says, Mom, I need to go get a drink of water. And I said, you can't go get a drink yet. We're getting on the ride. As soon as we're done, I'm going to make sure that we go get you a drink of water. Well, if you know Olivia, you know that she kind of is a little stubborn and decided that, no, she needed her drink of water. So we all get on the ride and everybody had a buddy system, you know, we're all organized. And we finished the ride up, and I was like, where's Olivia? And I looked to the other end of the boat where the student that had paired off with her because they were best buds. Um, and so she's like six at the time. And I'm like, I don't see her. Jeff, do you see? Where, where's Olivia? And so, you know, the mom in me is like starting to get frantic. And we realized, we get to the end of the ride, and I was like, our daughter is not on this ride. We have every student, every leader, and every other one of our kids, but our daughter is not on this ride. So we are then frantic, and we're like, we get off the ride, and we're looking around, and my phone rings. And it was a stranger that had found my daughter, and she knew my phone number, so she had called, and um, she had waited with Olivia and bought her a cookie and you know, made her feel extra special. And we, um, we got our daughter back, <laughs> thankfully. Then I hear, Mom, and she comes running, and she was really upset, and she was like, you left me? I said, no. No, we said we were going on the ride, and we were going to get your drink. She goes, but I needed a drink. I was like, but you walked away. So we were very, very intentional about not letting that happen. And um, I hope, I'm sure that some of you guys in here have lost a child. Is there anybody else, or is it just me? <laughs> okay, okay, I, I was getting a little nervous there. Um, yeah, yeah, so we've, we've experienced that, right? That frantic, like, oh, where's my kid? Every worst case scenario is running through your head, right? Um, it's not pleasant, and I'd like to not experience that a lot more. Um, I, I looked up the statistics. Um, said, oh, no, so, I, sorry, let me back up here. Um, so I was thinking about, okay, how many other kids have I lost over the years? Because you have to take into account, we've had 11 children. We don't have 11 children now, thank the Lord. But we have had 11 children that have called us mom and dad at one point. And um, of all of those kids, I've only lost two. So I, I have over 80% success rate. And if I was in professional anything, I'd be like hitting home runs all the time, right? So we can't feel too bad about that because my statistics are, are doing pretty good there, right? All right, so let's go to um, Luke 15, and we are going to venture in um, to some family drama here and a father that, that loses his son. So we are Luke 15, verse 11. We're going to pick up the story there. Jesus continued. So he had already been telling some other stories, and we're going to backtrack a little bit later on. Um, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and then squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. Now just a side note there, um, pigs are very unclean for them, and this is very forbidden. You, you just don't go 
to where there's pigs. You don't interact with pigs. You don't feed pigs. That would have been like one of the most shameful things that this guy could have done, okay? He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. Lord, we just pray that you would, that you would speak to us in this scripture. Lord, I know that you have something that you want to deposit in, in each and every person's heart here. I pray that you would help us to, um, to be very sensitive to your spirit. If you are, are needing to point something out to us or encourage us with something, Lord, I pray that we would, we would hear you, that we would, um, we would be obedient with anything that you're asking of us this morning. In your name, amen. So this morning we're going to talk about three different characters. So we have the first one is the younger lost son. So we just read a scripture here on, on this guy. He sounds like, you know, he's got his life all together, right? No, no, just making sure you're listening. He did not. So he had, um, he had grown up in a wealthier family if the father had servants. And I, I want you to think of what this scenario would look like for you and for your kids, or maybe you don't have kids, maybe you have a niece or nephew, or um, I want you to try and put yourself in this, in this father's shoes for just a moment, okay? If it helps to close your eyes and imagine this, um, then go ahead and do that. But um, what, what we need to remember is that in a family, um, inheritance was a really big deal. So this is how, like, this is how your life would, you would continue on with the family name. And, and so this is like this younger son coming to the father and saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. Give me your money. Right? It is. In, in modern day language, that's like what he said is, I can't wait for you to die. Can you hand me, hand me the cash? And then he took the money, and then just a short time later it says he left. So he went to a distant land, and he lived a very sinful life. doesn't sound like he's really appreciative, right? So we also see um, in Jewish culture, a firstborn son would get a double portion. In this family, it would have been divided into three parts, assuming that there's no other sons. So we have the older son and the younger son. So all of the, the stuff, the money, the livestock, everything that this father had would get divided into three sections. And the younger son would have gotten one. And the older son would have had two. So I want you to remember that. Okay? So that's very important culturally to understand that. Also, I learned um, that it, it was not uncommon. Uh, it was not the usual way of doing things. But it was um, acceptable for a father to give his inheritance before he passed. And the main reason for that was because he was afraid his children would fight. So to get rid of all the sibling fighting ahead of time, he would divide up his things when he um, felt it was time to do so, so that after his passing, then everything would be settled, okay? However, it's not common for a son to go to a dad and say, give me your cash, give me my cash, it's what I'm due, 
Okay, that was not culturally appropriate. So the younger son, he got what he was asking for. He left, <clears throat> excuse me, he left and he wasted his inheritance. <clears throat> I get a drink here. <clears throat> so it's not like he, um, you know, he had some good plans to invest this money, to go and build a house and to make, um, make a life for himself. Instead, he was going to go probably gamble, sleep around. He was going to go party. He not only did this for himself, but it says that he took friends. He had friends, and he spent all of his money wastefully. And then there was a famine, and he was hungry. And then he found himself in the lowest of low. So he lived in the world. He was consumed by his sin to the point that he did something unthinkable to his father. Now, it doesn't say what his relationship with his father was. So maybe he always was um, a little rowdy. Maybe he was um, maybe disrespectful. We don't know. I'm, there is a chance that he was you know, just a, a good son and he did what he um, was supposed to and then all of a sudden you know, something changed. We don't know. But regardless, it doesn't matter if he goes to the father and says, Father, uh, I can't wait for you to die. I need your money. Okay, see, see you later. It puts in context a little bit more of what we're seeing here. So when we think of this Bible story and, and this, or this parable, this is why I was like, I don't know if I really want to you know, speak out of that. Lord, could you give me something else? Um, because instantly we're like, okay, well, that's the su summary of the story. Then he realized he was in sin. He went back to his father and everything is resolved. But I'm going to... I'm going to say it's not. And so we're going to dig into the other characters as well, but to, to get to that point, we need to establish the younger son. So he, he then realized, um, he hit rock bottom, right, in the pig pit, uh, feeding the pigs. Very gross job. Uh, and he was hungry, and so hungry that he was ready to eat what the pigs were eating. And I'm not a pig farmer. I've only seen some pigs sometimes on a farm. And it doesn't seem like what they're eating is anything appetizing. So for him to be so hungry that that would satisfy him, that puts in perspective, too, where he was and just how, how rock bottom he really had hit here. So but then he realizes his mistake. He tried to fix it, so he got a job. He wasn't, it still wasn't working. And then he realized, I need to go back to my dad because he remembered the character of his dad. He remembered that his father had servants, and he took care of his servants. And a servant is <clears throat> it's not what... Um, there, there's a difference between a father, or between a son and a servant, right? Or between a father and maybe even a slave, or a son and a slave, right? So they're not equals. But the son is realizing here, okay, my father is, is a good man, and he, he treats these servants better than I'm being treated here, okay? He didn't blame anyone else. He just saw, I've messed up. I need to go back to, home, up to my father. I need to go home. And he did. He didn't wait. He went home. He knew he wasn't worthy of coming back to the father as a son, but he was willing to humble himself and be a servant. He wasn't returning, asking to be a son. He knew he could not measure up to that. I see when, I, when I'm reading this, um, this picture or reading this story, 
I see this picture in my mind of, you know, a, an old porch, and this is Bible days. I don't think that they had a porch back then, but in my head, this is where, where I see the father pacing back and forth, and I can see that there's, you know, the, the ground, the dirt has been pounded down. You can see the path where he's walking back and forth, and he's pacing, and he's worried about his boy, because even though his son had treated him so poorly, he still loved his son. He was worried about his son, and he was waiting for the return of his son. So the son sets a good example for us on, on, on our life and, and how, how we need to come back to our father. So there's, there's four things that, um, that I see this son doing. He saw his condition, so we need to see our condition, see the state of our heart, right? And then we need to turn our focus to him. Because if we continue to look inward and we continue to live in the sin, that's where we're going to stay. But if we want to get out of that pit, we have to look to Jesus and he helps us out. Then we need to seek forgiveness. What's interesting to me too is that the father saw the son before the son was even home. He was watching. It's not, he, he had already made up his mind he was going to forgive his son right? He, he was pacing back and forth, and he was watching. When is my son going to come? When is my son going to come? And his son came. Then what, what is interesting here, well, well let's, uh, let's take it to the scripture, and let's see, see what, what this says here, and then we'll continue that thought. We're going to be in verse 20 now. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. That doesn't sound like an unforgiving father. That sounds like a father that's already decided he's forgiven his son. I can't imagine in that moment when somebody has hurt you, even if it's your son or daughter, and they've hurt you so bad, run it. I mean, you, you're happy that they're safe. And maybe even you welcome them in. But to run and throw yourself on them and hug them and kiss them. And he, remember, he just came from a bunch of pigs. I can't imagine he smelled very good. The father didn't care. Because he was coming out of his sin. He was coming out of the world and he was coming home. And the father ran. <clears throat> All right, so. Verse 21, the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you, but I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and the sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and he is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. The father was actively looking for the son, and he was ready to throw a party when he returned. Not only did he forgive him, he celebrated his return. And that doesn't feel very natural either, because if, if your son or your daughter or somebody does harm to you and then they come back, maybe, it, maybe you have the ability to say, I forgive you, but there's still some emotion behind that, and I'm not throwing a party right away. I, I don't think so. You know, that, that's not my style. Maybe, maybe some of you are able to push your feelings aside and throw a big party. I can't imagine that that's very normal. So, so the father throws this party. He was looking, and he was quick to respond. The, the son didn't even get it fully out of his mouth that I've sinned against heaven and against you. 
And the father was just instantly, he had his son. Loving on him. I, uh, I find it interesting, too. The father ran. In that culture, it was not acceptable. I'm not just saying that it just didn't happen. It was not um, proper, maybe is a good word. It was not proper for a man of honor to run. So now we have another layer of this that we need to visualize, because this is where my head went when I'm doing this deep studying. So, you know, they would wear long robes. So we'd hike it up to his knees, probably, and then he just starts running. I, I can just see the, the servants in the field, and they've got all of the hay, and they just drop it, and they're like, what is happening? One commentary I read said that it's likely that the father ran because the son's sin was so bad that it was punishable by death, but not just by the father. So his action of running and looking foolish was an act of mercy because he could get to the son first and he could protect the son and say, no, I forgive him. He's, his debt is paid to spare his life because if anybody in their community could have seen the son, they could have thought, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this for the father because he was wronged and we're, you know, the law says this and he has sinned and we are going to take matters into our own hands. Let's go. Somebody would have. There's always somebody that's quick to carry that torch. The, son didn't, the father didn't want that. And he had mercy on his son, so he, he ran to protect. Not just because he was happy to see him, but he loved him. He was deeply moved. So this, uh, this chapter, this whole chapter, there's quite a few different parables, and I, I strongly recommend you take this, um, this section of Scripture home this week and really dig deep. Look up um, some commentaries. Um, I can help resource you, help, help send you in the right direction for things, but do some digging in this for yourself because there's multiple parables that are all similar, and we've noticed this pattern in the other parable stories that we've been hearing, and Pastor Jeff has grouped some of them together, and they all have the same theme, right? So I, I highly recommend, don't just take it for my word and what we're going to read here. Take this scripture home this week and really dive into it and see what it has to say, all right? So we're going to jump back up to the beginning of the chapter in verse 4 because um, I think it's important to see a little bit, uh, another glimpse of the father here. So this is the forgiving father. Okay, verse 4, 15, 4. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and he goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you, in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. So one sheep in this story is lost. He says he has 100. One sheep is lost and he, he leaves to go find the one that's in danger. Does this mean that he loves that, uh, that one sheep more than the 99? No. Do you think that it feels like that to the 99? 
It could. But we have to remember that we were once that one. That every person has gone astray. Every sheep has been in danger. And the father, the shepherd, comes and scoops him up, puts him on his shoulders, carries him to safety. The father's compassion, his... His desire to, to keep his, his sheep safe. The Father's desire to keep us safe means that he sacrifices in ways that we'll never understand. When he died on the cross, we don't understand that. We understand a little, but the, the depth, the sacrifice that that took because he loved you because he loved me. And he left the 99 to come and find you. And we have to remember those moments. We can't lose, we can't lose that. We have to remember not to dwell on our past, not to just focus on, oh, we were so bad and, and God, you know, saved us from this. But the Bible says that we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. Others need to hear what God has done for you, even if it was 50 years ago. What did God do in your life when he left the 99 to go and find you? To scoop you up, make sure you were safe, to run to you, arms wide open, regardless of where you came from. Even the lowest of low places, you just don't feel worthy. That that son did not feel worthy. He was not going back to the father asking, Lord, can I be your son again? He was coming back asking, can I just be a servant? Can I be a servant? The, the father, too, going, going back to that, that scripture there, so the father runs, puts his arms around him, and he says to the servants, quick, grab a robe. A robe represented protection and covering. Then he says, put a ring on his finger, on his hand, depending on the translation. And that signifies authority. The father was saying, you're not a servant. You're my son. And he gave them, gave him that authority or that family name. Okay? And then he says, sandals on his feet. That's protection. Not everybody could wear sandals. In fact, if you were a slave or a servant, you were forbidden from wearing sandals because they were afraid you would get away and sandals would protect your feet. So, but now, God is, um, Jesus is, is telling a story and, about the sheep. And now in, <clears throat> in chronological order, it, it's talking about the sheep first and then we get to the parable um, that we're really focusing on this morning, but with the sheep, how many times does the Bible compare us to sheep? I was curious, and so I looked it up. The Bible mentions sheep over 500 times in the Bible. 500 times. And it compares me and you to sheep over 40 times. So there's a significance there. You know, the father is the shepherd, and we are the sheep. And when you think of sheep, 
I have always understood that they're not smart. They're really dumb animals. And I guess I was wrong because they're actually really intelligent. Is anybody else surprised by that? Maybe there's somebody in here, you're a sheep farmer, um, you know, by trade and I just don't know, and, and you know that they're really smart. Is there anybody else, like, you guys just know that they're smart? You guys are, you guys are brilliant. Because I've always heard that sheep are really stupid. Don't tell my kids, because we're not supposed to use that word. They're not smart animals. But the shepherd rejoices when he finds one of his sheep. So if sheep are not dumb, then why do they act dumb? Let's go ahead and show this video clip real quick. Some of you guys have probably seen this. This is what I've always expected sheep to be like. Yeah. That doesn't seem very smart to me. You can go ahead and turn it off. I'm sure that they get it out and it keeps jumping back in the ditch again. That doesn't seem very smart to me. He was just set free. He was just rescued. Didn't look like it was very comfortable being yanked out by your leg, but still, he was free and then runs off thinking he can do it on his own back into the ditch. And yet, we're compared to sheep. So what does that mean? Does it mean we're just not smart? No, they say they're sharp. They're, sharp. they're, they're really smart animals. But what it said was very interesting to me. They are very intelligent. They love um, relationships, so they can remember up to 50 faces of people or other animals. Or probably sheep, mostly. So they are, um, they do better in a herd because what happens is as soon as they wander from the shepherd or from the herd, they get dumb. They get so disoriented and so confused without the guidance of a shepherd and without the community of the sheep, they can't function. And they start wandering. They don't see the dangers. You know, it says in Psalms that he leads us to green pastures, to water. That sheep that's lost cannot find the pasture, cannot find that clean water on its own. And so that is why then the shepherd is so concerned with the sheep because he knows the sheep cannot survive on its own. The sheep cannot survive without being not just with the shepherd, but with the other sheep. There's protection in that. And the father provides protection, that the shepherd provides protection that is like none other. A shepherd does things to help not just feed and water. Um, in the Old Testament, it was very common for a shepherd to pour oil on the head of a sheep, on all of them. And um, we could spend a whole long time talking about anointing and the significance of that. He anoints his sheep. 
And there's several reasons for that. One is for parasites and bugs, that it protects the sheep from those parasites, okay? And the other one is to protect it from predators because if an oil, oily sheep is caught, it's not going to be very easy to catch. It is going to be able to easy, easily slip, or easier, I guess, to slip away from the predator. So the shepherd provides all the nutrients, the things that the sheep needs, but it provides the protection and not just keeping them together. There's a lot that the sheep can't do on its own. And I think that that's what, what the Father really wants us to remember this morning, is that there is, there is one that we're all together, and 99, and, and he might go for the one, and it feels like, oh, well, he's just, they're the favorite. So I, it's easy to get like that, though. But we can't, because we were that one. We were that one at some point. And the protection that the Father provides is so much more than just going and getting the, the lost sheep. There's so much more to it. Sheep are social animals. They rely on their flock for protection and guidance. In the absence of shepherd or other human caretaker, they're stressed, disoriented, they're vulnerable to, to disease, predators. They're lost. Also, sheep know and recognize the voice of their shepherd. And we need to know and recognize the voice of our Father when he calls. And sometimes he calls and we're so caught up in the busyness of life that we miss the opportunity to hear from our Father. And we have to make it a priority to be still and come into his presence. And sometimes when we're wandering, the Father's voice is going to nudge us back to the flock. And for that, I'm thankful. We have to be sensitive to his voice. And we have to know that when he leaves the 99 to go to the one and then celebrates the return of the sheep or celebrates the return of the son, it's saying nothing about us because that was us at one point. And the Father's heart is so big that he continues that for others. So both the shepherd and the father, they didn't just rejoice. They were actively searching for the son, for that sheep. They didn't just stand by and just wait to see what happens. They went quickly to go and rescue that sheep, to go and forgive that son. Also in um, this chapter, it talks about the coin that I, I suggest you go through and read that. If you lose a coin and you find it, you celebrate. These are all different ways that Jesus is illustrating to us the Father's love and his compassion and the value that we have and his love for us. So in verse 20, we do it one more time. So he got up and went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, the father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and kissed his son, ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. So he had compassion even though he was very much wronged. He ran, and we talked about how that's not normal. He fell on him, he kissed him, I'm sure he stunk. He told the servants to bring the best things, not just a coat, the best coat, the best robe. Get a ring, that's value. So he rescued him, he brought him in, 
and he's safe, and now he's going to kind of lavish his love and his care and compassion. There's so much meaning packed in this, in this whole chapter. But even just in verse 20 and 21, there's so much meaning in what we mean to our Father, to our Shepherd. He loves you. I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know, even if you're watching this later online, you need to know that He loves you. His love for you is like nothing you've ever experienced. His grace covers all. And he has better things for you, so he asks us to give the things of the world to him because he's going to replace it with those better things, that coat, that ring. He's a good father. So, but not only did he give him those things, then he called for the fattened calf. The old covenant, there had to be a blood sacrifice for sin. Somebody made a mistake, you had to go to the temple and make a sacrifice. There had to be a blood sacrifice for sin. But Jesus died on the cross, and he came to be that final sacrifice. And his blood covered all. Even what was to come. Because... None of us were around the day that Jesus was crucified or even in that era of time. But you were on his mind. He knew you by name. He knew what he was calling you to be. His heart was so filled with love that he was able to make that sacrifice for us. And even though we hurt him, even though we sin and we struggle, he still made that sacrifice. He still loves us. He still loves you. I've heard, I've heard from people before where they say, well, I need to get, um, get my life a little better and then I'm going to come to church. That is not biblical. You show me where that is in the word of God because that stinky son came from the pig pen coming running to the Father and that's what God is asking. That's what Jesus is asking. It doesn't matter if you're stinky. It doesn't matter what you look like on the exterior or how you feel. He is still your father. And he is still pacing, waiting for you. And if you are already with the flock, you're, you're still at home. We should be celebrating with the father when the one comes back. We should be longing for that brother to come back too. But that's not the case for this other brother. The father forgave and rejoiced that his son was home. But then we see the older, lost son. And we're going to start reading now in, in verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field, and when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called to one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me a young goat that I could celebrate with my friends. 
But when the son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. It's easy to gloss over this character and I think we're all guilty of that. We talk about the prodigal son, but I think it really should say the prodigal sons. Because I think that the older brother was even more lost than the younger one. Because he missed the father's heart. He didn't leave physically, but it seems that his heart left, emotionally had left. He was angry. And the thing is, is it probably wasn't like overnight, like the, the younger son left and then the older son is sitting with his thoughts and like, fine, I'm angry. That's not how it happened. I'm pretty convinced of that. But it was that little thought here and here. Wow, I just wish he was here to help. Continue on. Ah, ah. And then what consumed him? Says he was angry. I don't know about you, but that's not a characteristic that I want to explain my life. There's very few descriptions of the older brother, and anger is one of the first ones there. You don't want to be known as somebody that was just angry. So you have the power to change that. But I believe that for the older son, the problem was that he let those toxic thoughts and he let those mindsets begin to chew at him. To begin to, you know, it's like that self-talk at night when you're just like, oh, I should have said this. Or when I see them, I'm going to say this and this and this. And then what happens? We have just dived down into the gunk, into the gross. That is not what God has for us. That is not what God is asking of us. That is sinful. Now, we all have struggled with, I will say that as me. I, I have struggled with this. And there are times when that narrative runs in my head like, oh, I'll just tell them. That's not what the Father is asking of us. Now, we all have sin, right? We are all sinful people. I do understand. We all are. But I think where the issue really sits is when we're not willing to give him that sin and then we excuse it. He had all kinds of excuses for being angry. Doesn't make it right. He missed the opportunity to rejoice. He missed that opportunity to celebrate. He missed that opportunity to experience that gushing of that father's love. Even if it wasn't for him, he should have been rejoicing with him. So the characteristics of the son, he was angry, he was bitter, he was jealous. In his words, he slaved. So he, he equated himself with a slave. He focused on himself, maybe even felt sorry for himself but I really don't think that he intended for that to become who he was. I think he drifted to that. I think by not keeping some of those, those heart issues in check, I think that's where he went. I wish that the story resolved and said, and the, and the older son said he was sorry and came back. <laughs> One sentence, bring it back to completion, but it doesn't. But I hope that in the story that that older son also came 
and also repented. Because sin is sin. Living in the world is sin. Being bitter and angry and just holding on to that. I'm not talking about that quick like reaction when something happens and you're angry. Jesus was angry in the temple. I am saying letting that eat at you. Becoming angry. Not just in one situation, but letting that define your characteristics. That's sinful. So the son was um, in the field working. And it seems by what he, what, how he responds that he was probably a hard worker. Uh, usually firstborns tend to kind of have that drive and do what needs to be done. Um, and it seems like maybe, you know, he was a hard worker. He was in the field for long days. And then at the end of a day, he's tired and he hears um, music and dancing. And I've been thinking all week on this scripture, how could he hear dancing? Like maybe they were like, you know, just really loud and there was, uh, I don't know. But he heard the music and he heard the dancing. He knew they were dancing. And maybe that is what the translations would say, that he heard music and he heard the celebration. Okay? I'm sure he was tired from a long day in the field. Um, If you have spent any time in the garden, um, and then even greater, like if you have worked a farm, I'm sure that you could speak to this better than anybody else. Like, that's exhausting. It's hot. It's tiring, right? At the end of the day, I'm sure he was not in the best mood. And I'm sure that that's part of what we caught a glimpse of here. I'm sure he was hangry. And if you do not know what hangry is, at the end of church, come find me, and I'm going to introduce you to my son, Elliot, because right about now he gets hangry where you get hungry to the point of being angry, and you're just in a bad mood. I'm sure he was angry. But why? Putting the the humor aside and putting the, you know, being hungry, why was he angry? I feel like his reaction was a little bit of an overreaction, a little bit of a temper tantrum, should I say? Kind of seems like it. He wasn't happy. He complained, and he felt it was an insult to him. He had been working hard, and the brother went and spent all the father's money, and he was bitter for the years of faithfulness. He'd been going through the motions and maybe even stuck in a spiritual rut. His brother was living in sin and doing whatever he wanted, and the older son was doing all the work, picking up the slack. And he would get his reward, his inheritance. And the younger brother never would get more. The older brother was getting his reward. He just hadn't seen it yet. He still had those two portions, a double portion of inheritance. And he still had that. And he could have been focusing on the good. He could have been focusing on I'm glad I didn't make those choices. But instead, he focused on the bitterness and the anger. And I really think he missed the father's heart. I wonder if he really knew his father. Everything that the father had was his. He had a double portion. The younger son squandered away. It never says in here that the younger son got more money, that he got more inheritance. I would believe that he would not. But he still got that covering. He still got that forgiveness. There's still consequences for sin. We know that. Even after we've repented. 
Sometimes there's consequences. But the younger, the older son had been faithful. He stayed. He still had that inheritance coming. I'm going to have the worship team uh, join me. He didn't appreciate what he had, though. He had something good. He had something good coming. He had the presence of his father that whole time. But I'm guessing he didn't didn't take advantage of that, didn't use that time because he was so mad. And even if the father was pacing and watching for the son, he could have joined in that. Go where the father is. He was he was bitter. He let that bitterness stay and hardened his heart towards his father. He'd been going through the motions and maybe even stuck. We know that. But he chose to stay there. Instead of just being upset and angry one time, he chose to take that as his identity. He chose to just let that continue to eat at him. And it's really easy to do. It is really easy. In my story, in my testimony, I was so bitter. I hated. And when I came to God, when I came in relationship with him, it took some sacrificing on my part still. I had to continue to give that to God. That wasn't just something, unfortunately for me, that was like, okay, I'm saved now, my heart is good. I hope that that has been the case for some of you, but for me, it was, it was years. It was years of just struggling with that, letting it creep back in. And just like it doesn't come in instantly, it doesn't usually leave instantly. And it takes intentionality and it takes being in the word and drawing near to the Father to soften your heart. And if you're not doing that, not doing that intentionally, maybe you are coming to the Father, but you're just coming and complaining. I've been there. We all have. If that is not you, please come talk to me. I'd like to know your secrets. (laughs) We've all been there. And the thing is, is our Father, He can take that. You can come to Him and you can pour out your junk. You can tell Him exactly how you feel. And He's bigger than that. That doesn't offend Him. He wants you to come. He wants you to lay it all out. But what He doesn't want is you to pick it back up and take it when you leave. And, And that happens. It's too easy. We get so used to the burden. We get so used to that. Being angry, because honestly, being angry is easier than being happy. It's easier to be angry than it is to choose joy. It is. For most of us, anyway. The Bible says rejoice in the Lord always, and again, I say rejoice. There's a reason it says that. It says to worship, to praise, to exalt his name. 
And then when we, we do, it begins to soften us because guess what? We're getting our eyes off of our own sorrow and our own woe to me and we're looking at the Father. And when we're looking at the Father, we're becoming more like him. And those things of the world, those things that, that just chew at us, and I think that the most dangerous of sin is the ones that are so hidden and that we can pretend it's not there and that we just let creep in. If you knew my story, maybe this would make more sense, but we have to choose to be in communion with our Father. We have to choose to put those offenses away. We have to choose to just fix our eyes on him. Share with him your burden. Share with him your hurt. And then let him, let him take it. He's made for that. We lay our burdens down and we leave them there. And guess what? Tomorrow you might have to lay that same burden down. That's okay. Because when you start recognizing, oh, I'm carrying this again, take it back to the Father. God is so gracious. He's so forgiving. He's so compassionate towards you, towards me, that he leaves the 99 to come and rescue. But somehow it's really easy for us to forget we were once that one. But just like in this story, I think the son that was more lost is the older one. Because he had the father. He had relationship with it. He was still in close proximity. Their brother should have known his brother was safe. Maybe later the father would have talked to him about, okay, let's change some things. Because our father loves us and he wants us to be better. He wants us to walk with him. He wants us to grow. And that's a journey. He's offering forgiveness and grace. You just have to be willing so important. He's not going to force you. He's just there with open arms. And he's running towards you. That first step, I believe, in walking towards him, the father's like, yes! Older son was faithful, part of the family. His heart was so hard, critical, angry like the father was waiting for the younger son, celebrated his return. He's calling you. He's longing to be with you. I believe that that, that father wanted to have those moments with the older son too. He's a good father. So I don't know where you are this morning. I believe that there's two two specific responses this morning. But maybe there's something that didn't even come alive to me, but as we read this scripture and we begin to study it, the Holy Spirit speaks and 
Maybe there's something he's laying on your heart that has nothing to do with this, and maybe you need to respond to that as well. But I believe the first group of people would be those that have wandered. You've wandered far away. You've done some horrible, hurtful things. You've hit rock bottom. You need the Savior. You need your Father. You need the Shepherd to come and find you. You need, maybe you haven't even like hit rock bottom. Maybe you've wandered and you're just disoriented and you're like, I don't know what I'm doing. It's not too late to turn back. The Father is still looking for you, even if you're not ready to fall off a cliff. The Father, the Shepherd, is still hurting. He's still gathering. He's still longing to be in relationship with you and not just to forgive your sin, but to be in communion with you, to be family, to to do life with you. So maybe that that is you. Maybe you you know somebody that is that prodigal son, and maybe you need to stand in the gap for them this morning. And then the second one is the older son, the lost older son, that had let bitterness and critical spirit, and maybe he was always having relationship issues with the brother. We don't know, but, but there was a heart issue that started at some point. And maybe that's you. Maybe it's just like one or two things you're like, well, I, I probably need to work on that. I, I think if we're all honest in here, I think we probably all have something that we have that critical spirit that's kind of creeping in. And if we're not careful, it really will take root. So maybe that's you this morning. I don't know. You just bow your heads for a moment and just listen to the Holy Spirit. guys, why don't you stand to your feet? In a moment, I'm going to invite you to come come up front and, and lay those things down and, and have that moment with your Father. Um, if, if you would like somebody to pray with you off to my right, if you just need to meet your Father, if, if you're over here, we'll just let you be with your Father. We want to respect that. condition of our heart and for some of us maybe the the outward symptoms of things going on are obvious that we're far from you but maybe like the older brother we've let some of those those things creep in and start hardening our heart lord and if either of those things is something that you are speaking to us directly lord let us hear Let us hear your heart. Let us see your arms open. Let us understand our condition. We need grace. We need forgiveness. We're going to go ahead and and sing this for a moment in worship. And if that's you, I just want to invite you to come up here. Uh, Prayer team, if you could, if we could have a few of you join up here to pray for people.